Thanks for dropping your question in. There's a green box there on the back corner. If you have easy questions, you can drop them in there if they're hard. Sam is also looking for questions. Um, one thing I should specifically state, I got invited to this camp to speak to you. I do not have any special knowledge. In fact, I'm confident that Sam is way smarter than I am. And, um, but no, my point is, is that your youth leaders are equipped with this book and I have the same one. Uh, you have pastors at your churches and, and stuff like that. And so um, I don't know all the answers to these questions. It's, um, yeah, so that's my excuse for probably failing here. Um, but let's go. All right. Somebody asked a question. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says he is eager to remember the poor. What poor is he referring to? Poor in spirit, wealth, health, faith. Um, this is contextually related to the Jews in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was um, hit with a famine um, sometime after, I, don't, I think this is around 60, 70 AD. And so the, the, what was happening was, I don't know the gardening situation of Jews at that time in Jerusalem, but when he, Paul was going out into the Turkey area, um, there were wealthier people there. And so the goal was to give back to the church that was in Jerusalem. And here's one of the things. There's this thing. You guys might have a deacon's fund or a benevolence fund, my church calls it. Yeah, um, the church is really a body uh, where we can take care of one another very practically. Um, I don't ever want it to be said of even what we've talked about this weekend. The gospel should motivate you to do good things, to, to be the body, to be the hands and feet of Christ. I think primarily to the church. So as you guys get older, whatever your church's membership thing, you commit to one church, like you commit to this one. Your town might have seven awesome gospel-centered churches. Commit to one. Submit to their leadership and how they do things, okay? And then you pour into it, and you're discipled by their leaders and by their discipleship structure, whether it be Sunday school or connection groups or small groups, whatever it's called, okay? Okay. And then, then, then you care for one another. And so what you see happening in Galatians, the disciples are like, hey, this, the part of the church is struggling in Jerusalem. Don't forget them. And Paul, as he very eager, blatantly says, is, I was eager to do that. Okay, so hopefully that is helpful there. Um, another question is, is there supposed to be a feeling or a notable change if I submit my struggles to God? Sometimes it feels almost dry, or um, quiet. Um, yeah, I have been in like a three-month rut of, um, God, where are you? Um, that happens in life, and so I don't know if there's a feeling. It's, it's difficult when you watch a video like we showed this morning, Christian Husoy, you hear my story. Um, not every moment is that epic in my spiritual journey. And so I think if you're continuously looking for the feelings or the vibes that come out of it, um, I don't think they're always there. But the key thing is, is obedience to God and surrender. And so as you go through it, you might not have the most warm, gushing feelings. You're not going to see lightning, get struck by lightning, see an angel. It's probably not necessarily going to happen that way. Now, I think as you lay your struggles to God, I think, um, and again, it's just so, it's so interesting because you also have a personality. And some of us are super emotional. I'm a more emotional person. 
Um, and some of us aren't as emotional. And so it's hard to filter that through different personalities and things like that. So some of you might feel more. And, but, it's, but it's not about the feeling. It's about addressing. Like if you have struggles and you're giving them to your maker, praise God. So give them to your maker. And some seasons it will be drier anyway. I still read the Bible even though the last, it was, wasn't the last few months. It was kind of February, March, April where it's just like, um, I still read the Bible, right? When I have the flu, I still try to eat. It's good. Um, and it helps me survive. So um, some, when, whether it's dry or not, just be careful when you watch for feelings or lightning or angels because that will lead you on a goose chase that... Um, you won't find the goose often. But anyways, um, here's another question. Was Jesus Jewish? What's the difference between Jews and Gentiles? That's a good question. Jesus was Jewish. He was of the line of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 2, that verse we read, Genesis 2, I'm sorry, Genesis 12, verse 2, it talks about how from um, Abraham's family all the world would be blessed and so the blessing to all the world from Abraham's family is Jesus. And so you and I are Gentiles. And so if I really pick apart who I am, I am mostly Norwegian and a lot of Swedish, okay? So God through Abraham all the way down, right? You, you, those chapter 1 of Matthew and chapter, what is it? Is it, where is it in Luke? There's a list of names, right? Luke 3. Um, thanks, Sam. Um, yeah, those lists of names are like a super micro, like this is the Older Testament in a chapter, you know, but just na naming them. And so you'll see that family line and how we are blessed. So Jesus was Jewish. What's the difference between Jews and Gentiles? Jewishness is also a religion. And so with that comes a lot of the Older Testament law. Um, I'm probably not the greatest person to speak about that in detail, but you have a racial group of people who are called Jews. And you also have a religion that's Judaism. And Judaism follows the Older Testament. They have not acknowledged um, the New Testament. They, didn't, they do not believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, and they still are waiting for him. And again, I'm not an expert on Judaism, but that's what I know about it. I met a Jewish person in the Birmingham airport. I was at a speaking at a youth con uh, thing over there, and it was awesome. He heard me and this other guy talking about Jesus, and he's like, do you really believe that this is the Christ? And um, if you meet somebody who's in Judaism, assuming they'll have a conversation with you, you can take them into Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 43 or 53, and, and oftentimes people people just don't read their Bibles. If you could just bring them to the Bible and then give it to them. Um, Isaiah, uh, trying to find it here. Isaiah 53, right. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. The prophet Isaiah is projecting into the future, 400-ish years, this man named Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was going to, again, live the perfect life. He was going to die the death on the cross, and he's describing it. And so the Jewish people will follow through on the Older Testament, primarily focusing on the Torah, but they, they lop it off like there's no Jesus. And so if you can show them that, and then you have the book of John, as John writes it, he said, these things are written so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. 
Um, he said, we could have written so much more about it, but these things are written so that you may know. And so you could direct them. Um, Matthew kind of relates to Hebrew people more, but um, it was a really fascinating conversation to me um, because I think God has a special spot in his heart for racial Jews. Um, and then I think God has a mega spot for the church. But uh, it was a sweet conversation to talk to somebody who, I want actually knew the Older Testament, and he knew it way better than I did. But it was just sweet to help him see some of the covenants that, that lead up to Jesus. But his, his line of thought was just blunted, like, no Jesus. And so it was, it was kind of a hopeless um, discussion uh, in the end. But I gave him my Bible, and hopefully... He read it. I gave him my email, and he's never emailed me, so that kind of stinks. But I wait maybe one day, just praying. For His name is David, Dawid. And uh, I'm just praying that one day I get an email from this guy. Um, radical change of direction here. Um, the question is, is systemic racism real? Um, that's a really loaded question in this time. Um, there is has been time periods of significant systemic racism in this nation. Um, and there, there are so many opinions about it. I feel a little bit in a pickle um, addressing you like this uh, with regard to this topic. Um, I would rather do it more relationally because of definitions of words. Um, everybody looks at systemic differently, everybody looks at racism differently, and so it's hard to talk to a group of, what are we, 140, 160-ish, about these things. Um, I can tell you what I, what I want to tell you is you're not going to find the truth on Fox News or MSNBC. I mean, and, and I just picked out two, but there's a whole plethora of media in between and on all sides. And it, it is, our country's a broken mess. Um, it's been weighing on my heart significantly um, through multiple conversations over the last several months, talking to some of my friends who are African American, and some of the things that they go through are not my story at all. And it's concerning to me when I've, got, I've talked to a multitude of gentlemen in particular who... Um, who have zero criminal record, but get continually pulled over for foolish and stupid things that some of them haven't even existed. That's a problem. And what I think we're realizing as a country is that there are people in positions that make mistakes. Um, and some of those mistakes are very significant, and they should be punished for those mistakes. I think um, in religion, um, there are, I think over the last several years, um, we have learned that some people in high religious roles have, have sinned against people, and we recoil, like, we recoil when we hear that, and we should. You should not sin against people, okay, ideally. But you guys might have even the wrong idea that I somehow am more perfect than someone else. <laughs> I'm not, okay? But I, I strive to live and represent Jesus Christ, and I strive to live the role of a pastor. But why should a pastor live differently than any of you who claim Jesus Christ? Why? Why do we put that pressure on somebody? Okay, so then you have, so enter police officers. Um, police officers are not perfect, okay? And some of the guys are frustrated and burnt out. And anyways, you can go on and on and on and on and on. And I've said a lot, which I'm sure some of you can grab snippets of, and you guys can run all kinds of directions with it. Um, here's, 
here's a Matthew Morkin thing. Um, there is a, there, there's a question I think we have to ask ourselves, um, no matter what race you are or gender. I think the question that you have to ask yourself is, is the gospel sufficient? Can the gospel repair this country? We can make laws and change policy all day long, but it doesn't affect the hearts of people. I can tell you, don't drive 75 in a 55. But if your heart is not impacted by that, you'll cooperate, but you're not going to do it. I cannot force you to love anybody. I cannot make a law saying respect all people. I can't, I can't do it. But now if it comes from your heart, that's a totally different aspect. It's all, like, you know, if you have, like we've made laws, don't murder. Um, there were three people shot in Cedar Rapids last week. And we have a law, like, but people don't care about people. It's a huge problem. Now, I'll tell you this. I'm a cyclist, if I haven't mentioned that before. Um, and on a couple of occasions, I have found myself in kind of some weird situations. I was cycling. I think I was either in South Dakota or in North Carolina. And I was riding my bike, and some guy pulled up, and he implied that I was homosexual, and I was probably going down this road to scan his farm so I could st come back with my also homosexual friends, and steal something from them. He just implied this in, about, in a span of about three sentences, mixed with a whole lot of derogatory re remarks and F-bombs, okay? And the problem was, is as I sat on the other end of that, I am not homosexual. I am happily married and have three boys. I am not a thief. I haven't stolen anything since, well, I was in high school. Okay? And that was not the point. And because you're wearing bike shorts and stretchy pants doesn't mean you're homosexual. And I'm not talking about homosexuality at the time, but we make assumptions about people. And let me tell you, my hair stood on end when I heard that guy just berate me like that. And I think there's been people and people groups in this nation that have been berated and made assumptions about repetitively. And I think for us in this time period, it would be foolish of us not to pause and just think about it. Think about it, okay? Now, I think oftentimes when you hear people you disagree with, you immediately throw them into camps, okay? But there can be people who probably are pretty close to you in many things and still disagree with you. I have a friend, his name is Will. We disagree on a lot of things. We're still friends, we still get along. We still joke together, okay? Um, and so, so hear that. Like, just, just pause, okay? Just, like, just think about it for just a little bit and, and reflect on... Um, usually when stuff like this happens, this is a Matt thing. I'm, I'm, so I'm just... I've warned you. I just pause and just be like, why, why does something like this happen? You know? And, and do I have a part in this? And just... I reflect, you know? Um, when I see another pastor friend of mine um, fall in sin or something like that, I pause. I step back and I'm like, what do I need to do? Where is my heart weak? Where, where, where do I need to like, build up a guard? What do I need to talk to some other friends about to help guard me from, from falling in the same ditch? Okay? And so for me, the last couple months in particular have been a really an evaluation of 
how I talk, how I think about people. Um, I would say that one thing that drastically changed my life was going to the Dominican Republic. I came in with a super, um, I'm an American, uh, and I'm also part of the American church. We'll tell you how it's done. And I brought money, so let's go. And uh, the thing was, is I went into this pastor's office, and Pedro Juan Gonzalez, um, I would call him one of my best friends now, and I saw he was reading some of the same books I was reading, except in Spanish. And this was when everybody was arguing about the wall in Mexico and all this stuff. And so I kind of came in with my little chip on my shoulder, and I I was, it was just books. There was no epic thing that happened there, but I was wrecked. The Holy Spirit said, who do you think you are? Image bearer. God is at work in the Dominican Republic. He never needed Matthew Morgan. He never needed the United States of America. His kingdom was present and it was active. And this is what I see when I, I've had the opportunity to be in Mexico, Romania, the Dominican Republic multiple times. I have friends in Haiti. Um, I've lived in Canada for a period of time. Is that I think, I think, this is me talking, this guy. Okay, so it's fallible. Um, I think the changing the discussion more to like the kingdom of God. Here there is not Jew nor Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And I think for some of us that answer isn't good enough. And that's concerning. You exist for the glory of God. And God has existed. God has given different races and giftings and stuff to different people. God has given it. God has given me giftings and abilities that some of you don't have. You guys have giftings and abilities that I don't have, you know? And I think um, when we, there's, I think, just changing the focus, we cannot forget what's behind. We must learn from mistakes and we have to shift to going forward. But I think there's a thing that we can do with our unity in Christ that can really show the world that we're going to work through this. We're going to lament for issues that have happened and we're going to work as a team and see that they never happen again and we're going to broaden our love for everybody. So, again, it's, it's an, dis, I don't know, that's a loaded question and that was a short period of time. So if you have questions about that, I would love to talk to you more so one-on-one. Um, I hope that's been helpful. I hope, um, yeah, I hope I didn't just create more issues because of how short that was. But those are kind of some of my thoughts. I think, um, I think the reality, especially with this, the tensions going on in the world, this is what I've been thinking about more recently, is after some of your discussions, whether it be about, you know, we've got election year coming up, we've got... Um, tensions in our country, we've got COVID um, stuff, whether you agree with a mask or don't agree with a mask. After your discussion, the Christians, only for you Christians in this room, okay? After your discussion with whoever, or your argument, or your Facebook thing, or whatever social media you're on, ask yourself this. Would the person you had a discussion with ever come back to you and say, you are a hopeful person? What is the reason for the hope that you have within you? That is the question I want to be able... Like, I might, we might disagree. So when I moved from Grand Forks, North Dakota, to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, there was a whole different range of issues going on. And there were some people that we had to sit down with um, and meet who had wildly different views than I. And you know what? In my heart and in my head, I was scared to death of the situation. And when we sat down with them, they were also scared to death of the situation. 
And I think the media had made me scared of them and had made them scared of me. Now, let's not blame the media because we watch the media, okay? So, I mean, everyone likes to rip on those guys, yep. But uh, let's, let's be careful. Let's be balanced, okay? Let's represent Christ no matter what the situation. In our anger, do not sin. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Represent truth. There's nothing wrong with representing truth, but how you do it. You know, if I'm talking to Jamie, I pick on Jamie because Jamie used to be in my youth group. So she, I always just ask forgiveness later, okay? If I start up with, and, I, and I'm going to be really mean to you, okay? You know that I love you. Jamie, you're an idiot. You should believe everything I tell you. She'll, certainly she'll agree with me after that. I just showed her the truth, right? No, I insulted her. I didn't lead her into a conversation. I'm sorry. Thanks for, are you okay? That was random, okay? Um, but, but you see, do you, when, when your argument, sometimes I get, I get frustrated as well, okay? I do. Um, I'm frustrated for where things are at. So anyways, I'm going on and on and on and on and on. All right, so let's get started. Let's go to Galatians. So we are in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Um, I want to walk through Galatians kind of again. In the beginning, Paul introduces himself by declaring the gospel. Paul seems very concerned that people understand who he is and why he is there. Who he is and why he is there. He is not there because he said, I figured it out, you guys. I'm in. Let's go do this thing. No, God called him. On the way to a town, um, on the way to Damascus, God said, Paul, I'm going to use you. I'm going to change your heart. You're a murderer and a guy out to destroy the church. I'm going to transform your heart because I can transform any of my creation's heart. And I'm going to use you to go to this group of Gentile sinners that exists out there, okay? And so you have this picture in the story of Paul about God changing his heart. God transforming the man. God changing his motives from the inside out. And so Paul goes through there. He talks a little bit about opposing Peter who had walked in hypocrisy. And he starts building this case. Like your salvation isn't just about, yay, I accepted Jesus. God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. said, from you I'm going to make a great nation. And we as Gentiles are grafted into this thing called the church, which is God's new nation, okay? And at the right time, Jesus Christ comes and he dies on the cross because we're all sinners. I didn't just sin when I lied. Lying is a sin. I don't just sin when I murder or when I'm addicted to something. I also sin when I'm arrogant, when I'm prideful, when I'm demanding when I sit on my keister and do nothing when something should be done. That's called sin. Adam sat in the garden and he did nothing while his wife was lured by a serpent when he should have crushed the serpent's head. But no, when Adam could have done the job, God had to send a new Adam, Jesus Christ, who would crush the serpent's head. And so you see how in life like we are in desperate need of Jesus Christ. So we've been having this discussion for session after session after session about how Jesus Christ gives us freedom from the bondage of sin. We showed that video this morning of Christian Hussoy and how he found freedom in prison. In prison, he was free because it wasn't the bars that were holding him back. It was his sin. 
His pride, his arrogance had limited his freedom. And the thing is for us, like we get caught in bondage to sin. Some of us are practically caught in addiction. I am a biblical counselor. I work with folks caught in addiction. And, and the battle that they, str- every five weeks, and during COVID it's been worse. Men in particular have a gentleman who's got seven or eight kids, a beautiful family, just sort of a ridiculously gracious wife. Blah, you can't even measure grace with this lady. But he, every, every five weeks, can't, I got to swing by the gas station, got to get some liquor, got to get some liquor, and I'll just give up my family for liquor, okay? So some people are caught into these moral things. But the thing that I want to like hone in on here is that some of us just think about sins as drugs, sex, and alcohol, okay? And like the, the big five. That is, they are sinful, okay? They are wicked. But there's other things that creep into our hearts. So Paul starts getting very practical with what does it look like? What does it look like in my life to be walking with sin or even abusing freedom? So he's pushing freedom, freedom, freedom. So let's start reading here. I'm going to read um, chapter 5 to us. So if you would join me, I'm in Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to start in verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify against, again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. If you're going to try to work your way into heaven, what he's saying there repetitively is if you're going to say, like, listen, I'm going to never do this again in my life. He's like, you need to never do all of it. Like, you can't just say, like, I am never going to do drugs ever. He's like, well, yeah, but you need to follow the whole law. You never lie. You never cheat. You never steal. You never hoard money. You never, you know, manipulate situations. You, you have to be perfect, okay, which is already a bugger because a lot of us are older than, say, zero. So we've already made a lot of mistakes. He's like, if you're going to follow the law, he keeps referencing circumcision. Circumcision was one of the ways that the Jews were separated from all the other cultures, okay? So if you're going to do one thing, folks, you need to do it all. And again, what does the law tell us? The law tells us we need Jesus. It is impossible to keep this law. I cannot be perfect. I might do okay, kind of, sort of, on the exterior, but my heart, folks, my heart is a bucket of mush. I keep wanting to worship me over and over again. I want to tell you lies to make me look better. I want to, I just, I just want you to like me, so what do I got to do, okay? It keeps coming out of me. So, that's the whole circumcision thing. Verse 4, um, you, okay. Let's go verse 3. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated, obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified from the law. You have fallen away from grace. Hear me. If you add to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have no gospel of Jesus Christ. If you add to the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is a tension, and it's, again, it's easy for us to think about the other church in town or 
maybe some of you, I don't know how many of you think about this, but the Evangelical Church of America, or let's talk about the Mormons. I'm talking about us. There's 150-ish of us in this room. I'm not talking about your older brother. I'm not talking about your mother. I'm not talking about Uncle Joe and Aunt Sue. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me, okay? We're not going to project these other objections onto rioters or Republicans or Democrats. We're not doing that. We're you and Jesus right here under his word, okay? You are severed from Christ you who would be justified by the law. You who think because of your morality you're getting in. He just says there, you don't know Jesus. You don't know Christ. As a religious person who prayed a prayer when I was eight and did religion until I was 25, had I died prior to 25, I would have gone to hell because God would have justly punished me for my sin. I had added works to the gospel. I was just going to, well, I'm reading my Bible. Well, I, my mom forced me to memorize 30 verses last semester. Well, I go to a Christian school. Well, at my 18-year-old birthday party, I had all my friends sit down there, and I told them to follow the law. No, I told them about Jesus. Those are all religious. I would have said, Lord, Lord, and he would have said, depart from me. I don't know you. Okay? You cannot add to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where am I getting that from? Verse 4. You, have, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You add a little law, it's going to impact everything. You cannot manipulate Yahweh. You can't say, well, I didn't really want to submit to you, but hey, I did these things. read some more. A little leaven, verse 9, leavens the whole lump. Verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is, right? That false teacher that comes in here and says, you need to be circumcised, you need to follow all these laws. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed, okay? Paul doesn't have a problem with circumcision, okay? You, Paul doesn't have a problem if you, if you do the law. The problem is if you make the law the big deal, okay? If I come before you, I came from a very legalistic family. I use the ESV version Bible here, okay? If I came to you and said, why aren't you guys using the ESV? can't even believe this. Are you Christian? Right? Now, is there a problem with the ESV? Nope. My, I was raised, again, on the KJV. Is there a problem with it? Nope. It's done more ministry than I will ever do in my entire life. I personally won't use it. Or don't. I personally don't use it. I'm not trying to be aggressive there. But 
this problem is, so if I preach circumcision, Paul was willing to have Titus circumcised, but they didn't ask him to. It's not about the externals. It's about the heart, the heart of the matter, okay? Brothers, if I preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? They keep pestering Paul. They're like, what are you doing out there? He says, I wish that those who unsettle yourselves would emasculate themselves. Now, this is a little bit of a different style of anger than what we see often in our news or on our social media feeds, okay? This is called righteous anger. When was the last time in your anger you were angry about the things of God being thwarted? Oftentimes when I get angry, it's when my wife doesn't do something that I thought she said she was going to do. So it's kind of about me. I also get upset at my kids when they're noisy and I want them to be quiet. So that's also about me. When was the last time you got righteously angry about anything? There are people in this nation, there are people in our evangelical churches that are leading people astray. They are saying you need Jesus and a Bible. You need Jesus and this. You need Jesus and baptism. You need Jesus and this church. You need Jesus and, and, and. That's offensive. You cannot add to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot. No matter how good it sounds. And Paul is furious. Furious about these people. And it's a concerning thing. Like, watch yourselves. Be in the word, like when we make you memorize this horde of Bible verses in here. And we keep coming back to the Bible because we want you to know the Bible. Because even if I or an angel tell you another gospel, you need to get out. If you ever come to Veritas Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and we're preaching something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, get out. If your church starts preaching something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, get out. You leave. You leave the ch- it because it's no longer the church. Okay? You go to the word. Paul calls it a Berean. You, you study the scriptures. You weigh everything by scripture, not by your political affiliation or by what grandma always said. You come to the word, which is greater than grandma's word, greater than your political party, and you study it and you scrutinize it. And if someone is teaching you something foreign to it, you say, see ya, I'm out. You don't need to even raise a stink when you leave. Okay. Paul's furious about that. Verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. This is the gospel in action. It's not just head knowledge, okay? It's not just head knowledge. It should move in your heart. It should bring ultimately joy. Yes, there's anger and angst. You see it right here. Paul was angry at Peter, Peter, what are you doing? You're fool. What does he call him again here? He says, I posed him to his face because he stood condemned. This is Paul, new guy, murdered a few people. Some of us wouldn't even let a guy who murdered somebody be a leader in our church. But Paul is okay. That's a discussion to have. But he calls him out, right? Because Peter was living. He had said one thing and he did another thing. That was important. That He had misrepresented the gospel. That was a, really a big issue. But you were called the freedom brothers. Only don't let, use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor 
as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. All right, let's go to verse 16. You guys with me? Got, got, got 10 minutes left in you? No? She's honest. Thank you. I'm gonna, I'll do 9.56. Okay. All right, here we go. But I say walk by the Spirit. I'm a Christian. In 2005, God grabbed a hold of my heart. God doesn't just say, okay, now you're saved. Now you go do X, Y, and Z. No, he moves in. The Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Spirit moves in, into my heart. I'll stand right in front of you so you don't fall asleep, okay? All right. No, so the Holy Spirit moves in. God with me. God with me. He is not just some far out God sitting up on his throne. Oh, Morgan messed up again. Fool. No, he's in me. He begins to chip away the hard spots in my heart. He starts to impact my mouth, impact my eyes, impact my hands, okay? He starts to transform me from the inside out. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, right? So we're free, but in our freedom, don't abuse them for the flesh. So the Holy Spirit, walk by the Spirit. Do what the Spirit says. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these oppose each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There's a battle waging in your souls. You be, this is why, again, I call it a revolution. An army dives in on your soul. And your body's like, what? I like me. I want to be comfortable. I want to be awesome. And this army says, but God is awesome. God is in control. You'll find comfort in God. And you're like, that doesn't seem practical. I need this. I need this now. And God's like, I will provide all your needs according to my riches and glory. And this battle starts to go from your soul. And the words that I once used, I don't use anymore. It starts fighting for my mouth. And thoughts that I once thought start to change as the gospel, as the army grabs a hold of my mind. And things I once did, let him who stole steal no more. I realize that God is going to provide for my needs so I don't have to steal. And so on and so forth, right? But there's that battle. The spirit and the flesh are battling. I don't think we take that battle seriously enough. Some of you are at war. You want to look at something you shouldn't, but you know you shouldn't do it. And you fight with yourself. It's the spirit battling against the flesh. Who is going to win this time around? Brothers and sisters, live by the Spirit. Live to glorify God. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Okay, so what is the flesh? The flesh is this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And there's this 
there's this picture, right, of, you know, I, I think of my testimony. I think of praying a prayer and having a religious experience, okay? It wasn't bad. But when I looked out over the next three or four years of my life, I saw clearly the works of the flesh dominating in my life. The works, the fruit of the Spirit were not present. Yeah, I mean, all of us are generally patient sometimes when we kind of sort of want to be. All of us love, right? We love grandma. But there was no overarching love. There was no supreme kindness that ran through my veins. It it was kind of dominated by the fruit of the flesh. If I wanted it, I needed it. And if I needed it, I needed it now. And my mom was either going to get it for me or my dad was going to get it for me or I was going to figure out a way around those two and I was going to make it happen. And, and I just pushed my way through life until I was 25 years old and it was a drastic change. We're flat and out of time here. So I want to come back to this, but let's grab our devotional books too because I'm leaving you on a cliffhanger. But this might be a good time for you to grab your Bibles and you sit with Jesus, and you talk to him about some of these things, okay? Um, The verse I highlighted is Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So something you want to remember about this session that stood out to you. And then just be honest. Again, I just... Honesty is the best measure. When we sit down with somebody to do some counseling with them... If they lie to us, it's hard to get a starting point. You know, if you, if you go to the doctor, I was an EMT, and you'd have people who are like, oh, I kind of feel okay. It's like, well, your arm is, your bone is sticking out of your arm. Oh, yeah, it's a scratch. And you're like, if you start with reality, you can start going places, okay? So if you realize that the spiritual life is a real thing, like, be honest. Like, where does the flesh attack you the most? Where does it get you? Is it with pride? Is it with what people think about you? Is it with pornography? Is it with um, maybe theft? Maybe you struggle with alcohol or just a need to be noticed and seen? Like, think about that. Really be honest with yourself, okay? And you can burn this book on Saturday morning if you want. That's fine. But just spend some time and really honestly evaluate. Where are you at? Just be honest, okay? Um, The next question is, do you ever find that you will try to work harder after you sin? almost in an effort to make up for it. Um, This question kind of came from my own life. Um, I would try to, you know, I I would be out late doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing, and then I would try to get home, you know, so my parents wouldn't see me get home, and then, hey, I'd mow the yard right away, or you know that thing you told me to do, clean the basement three weeks ago? It's clean, you know, and I found myself trying to work my way to please people. I think I was trying to work my way to please God, too. Because I was trying to cover up, like, cover it up real quick. Just make it okay. Um, so, anyways, that's a question for you. Do you ever find yourself trying to do penance, trying to please God, make it work out because you screwed up? And the next question is, when you look at your life, is there a battle in your soul between your flesh and your spirit? Is, is there a battle? Is there a battle? Have you given up? You're still fighting for it? Like, do you feel it? What does the battle look like for you? Okay, your battle might not look the same as Matthew's battle or Todd's battle, okay? And then lastly, 
uh, it says this. Go read Galatians 6.21, or it's Galatians 5.21. Um, this verse makes a powerful statement. We will not get into heaven without the Spirit at work within us. Where do you stand? It's a question again, a constant evaluation. Um, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, check yourself to be, see if you're in the faith, okay? Test yourself to see that you're in the faith. It's not that you can lose your faith. I'm not suggesting that at all. But there's this constant question, well, if I would have really checked myself, if some of my friends would have really dumped, poured into my life through middle school, they would have seen this fruit of the Spirit was totally lacking in my life. So here's an opportunity to really, in a very safe environment, to really, like, honestly walk through some of these things, okay? And if some of them are confusing or they come up different than you think, like sit down with your counselor, sit down with your youth leader and say, this is what I think I'm seeing. Help me. Pray for me, all right? So let me pray and then I'm gonna hand it off to Todd. Father God, you are great. God, I'm grateful for this opportunity to just talk about the fact that you free us from our sin, from bondage to sin. God, I pray that as we consider um, the work of the flesh and the work of the Spirit, God, that you might even open eyes, God, to see areas where the Spirit isn't exist, doesn't exist. God, for the newer believers, Lord, I pray and ask that you would strengthen them to fight the battle, God, to stand out for Christ, not for the sake of morality, but for the sake of your glory. God, I pray and ask that you would transform our lives, God, and draw us ultimately closer to you, Father. God, you are great. So thankful for these students. God, do a great work and get all the glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.